Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Fan and the Critic. Uh, another exciting episode for you here, and we are getting back to introducing new guests on this show, which is uh, something I'm always a huge fan of. Um, today, we will be talking about movies that are based on books. I'm probably going to ramble a little bit on movies based on IPs as a whole, uh, which is kind of an interesting category for me. And joining us today, uh, we have Tracy, who is a new guest to the show. Um, so Tracy, welcome to the show. Um, as Hi, we, thanks for having me. Uh, and as we usually do with our new guests, a tradition that we actually haven't done in a very long time because we've been kind of having some same guests on lately. Uh, but what we've always done in the past is a new guest to help introduce yourself to our audiences. We have you pick a movie and a movie character that represents you as a person which you can interpret many different ways. Uh, but just wondering if you, uh, what you have for that there. Um, so when you sent me this to think about, I was just like, oh my God, uh, what am I going to come up with? Because it's like the classic, what's your favorite movie question, where just like, I know all the movies, but yet all of a sudden my brain emptied. So I was just like, oh my God, what to do? Uh, for <laughs> me though, I ended up picking Fifth Element. And... <gasps> Um, cause a, it's one of my favorite movies, but also it's colorful, it's chaotic, it's loud and it has some very quiet moments. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that sums up a lot of my <laughs> overall experience. So that works for me. Um, character was a lot harder. Uh, cause I guess it's one of those things like movies. It depends on my mood, like what's going on. Um, so I was just like, am I Max Fisher from Rushmore? my happiness or like from inside out or i think today because i'm very nerdy and slightly nervous i'm gonna go with Margot from um a despicable me uh she's like the <laughs> oldest of the the three adopted girls and whatever she wears glasses and she's very straightforward but also come not totally sure of herself so i was like i think that works for me for today those aren't that weird. Those are pretty good choices. Those are pretty good choices. Okay. <laughs> I, th I thought you were about to say Margot from the Royal Tenenbaums, which is like maybe a negative view of things, but uh, Despicable Me is maybe a bit more positive. I haven't seen Despicable yeah. Me in quite a while. Um, so yeah, welcome to the show. Um, also, you are the first guest that we've had that is also, you are a movie podcaster of your own. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can introduce to your audience what your podcast is, where they can find you, and just generally what type of uh, things you talk about. Yeah, um, my podcast is Off My Shelf. I started it in the summer of 2018, so it's been going for a little while now. Um, and I talk about movies, uh, specifically movies that are off of my own shelf which is like I have a very big DVD collection and for years friends have been asking me for like movie recommendations and all this kind of stuff and I wanted to start a podcast and I was just like but I don't know like where to go you know what to jump to and I was like what's an easy thing I can follow I'm like just go to your own shelf you have tons of movies <laughs> and your friends will talk to you about them so I was like let me do that so uh, it's a very free form kind of uh, podcast where we sit down, just have like a conversation, have like a drink, have a snack, um, and just talk about stuff. We tangent a lot, but stuff. Yeah, it works. Um, it can be found anywhere you found podcasts. So just put in off my shelf and it'll be there. I do have a website, which is underbellyofsunshine. No, it's offmyshelf.com. 
underbellyofsunshine.com. That's because I used to have a blog because I'm called Underbelly of Sunshine where I just wrote about movies and turned into a podcast instead. So it's all there. Nice. Oh, put that link in the description if I remember to do that, which sometimes I say <laughs> I'm going to do things and I forget, but I will try to remember that this time. Um, okay. But yeah, I love that idea of having a physical shelf of movies, which seems like such a normal thing 10, 20 years ago, but in this virtual age, like I used to have probably two, 300 DVDs in a nice like shelf by my TV. And now like they're in a box probably at my sister's house or something like that. And I wish I just, even though if I wouldn't watch them, cause I probably don't put in physical discs anymore, just mm -hmm. like that as like a, a decor to your house. Like I wish I could get that back. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that's disappeared. <laughs> um, so it's very, it always shocks people. They're like, do you really like physically own all of these? I'm like, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> and one of the things is that even though I can find most of these movies on streaming and stuff is to stay true to the podcast, I take the DVD, put it in a DVD player and watch <laughs> it. That is like key. I, yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like I'll, I'll sometimes just buy a DVD or like a Blu-ray, even though I know I'm never going to use it just because if I like the movie or like some sort of novelty reason, um, like re just recently, not a DVD, obviously, but I found the three, uh, three VHSs of the original uh, Star Wars trilogy. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't even own a VHS player anymore, but they're just sitting on a shelf as a decoration. But the day I find a VHS player, I am going to watch it and, I'm curious as to what the, the quality is going to be like. Are they then actually like the original theatrical versions? Because those are actually hard to watch these days. I think so. I, I mean, I I don't know. I haven't <laughs> popped them in anywhere, but uh, they look like the, it's very, the, uh, the cover is very dated. It looks, it looks like the original copies. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Shout out to thrifting. Yeah. Um, one thing about that, though, that um, where was I reading it? I think it may have been on like the IMDb notes or whatever about uh, the Star Wars movies. Apparently, it's actually impossible to find the theatrical release versions of Star Wars because they apparently once they got some money from the releases, they did some editing before it went to like cassette, like home video and stuff. Mm. So even the earliest versions are apparently somewhat or slightly different than what was in theaters i didn't know that but i do know that like because it's hard to even find the pre-special edition versions because in mm -hmm. the, the late 90s before the prequel version came out george lucas came and like did all the stuff and i remember watching like the original i guess not theatrical ones but the originals when i was younger and like whenever i watch the new versions something just feels wrong and like, yes. I'm sure I don't even know what the exact things that they edited are, but it's just like, this is wrong. I just want to see the original and I haven't watched <laughs> them in a long, long time. Yeah, those are those are the ones that I own, those uh, the special edition ones. And it does frustrate me <laughs> <laughs> that I really wish I was like, no, no, you should have gotten them before this. I, was, eh. I go with what I know, what I have. It's fine. <laughs> I make it work. I'll keep my fingers crossed and I will follow up when I do find a VHS player. Um, let you know what uh, what version I have. Yes. It's, it's very unlikely, though. Now that I think about it, it's very unlikely that's the original theat theatrical version, considering I got these for like five, ten dollars each. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So oh, and, um, okay. sorry, really quick before we actually get into the topic of our podcast, I just want to shout out. Uh, off my shelf. Um, in, in contrast to what you're used to, if you're listening right now, 
uh, our regular listeners, it's much more energetic. <laughs> um, so it's a good change of pace. It'll be nice uh, today to have that that energy. Um, uh, and if you're if you're looking for something else, if you're listening right now and you, you're looking for something else one day, not to say you won't come back, hopefully, but <laughs> um, check it out. Check out Off My Shelf for sure. Yeah, I'll be prepared. We do get some ridiculous at, on days. So just warning. <laughs> You're saying this to a group of uh, that has got drunk and done like robot basketball drafts for episodes. So, <laughs> oh my <yeah>. god, <laughs> I haven't reached those yet, apparently. So yeah, okay, I gotta check those out. Uh, so the topic at hand today is movies based on books, which is a very large topic. Um, so I had just one question, uh, just to kind of start it off, um, and it's actually. <laughs> Really should have figured out how I was going to word this question before I started talking. Um, what's your general perception of movies based on a book? Like, what's your prejudice? Like, if you hear that a movie is based on a book, do you expect that it's going to have a higher quality because it's based on something um, like a narrative that was actually written somewhere? Do you think it's going to be more boring or do you kind of come at it from a perspective of, oh, the movie is not going to be as good as the book? I was just wondering, because we haven't, we literally haven't talked at all after deciding what the topic of this was. So just wanted to get people's <laughs> like initial thoughts on like, what is your kind of perception or prejudice of, of movies based on books? Um, My prejudice is usually uh, the genre. Like if it's, you know, something like Eat, Pray, Love, I'm just like, ugh, not a thing to watch. <laughs> It's fine. Um, but if it's, you know, something like Starship Troopers, I'm going to be like, okay, this is going to be kind of cool. Like, I expect the explosion. I expect aliens. I expect cool spaceships. I expect certain things. Um, but I don't, like, overall, when people say, I, my only prejudice in movies is when it say it's based on true events. That's mm -hmm. when I'm just like, you guys are just making some stuff up and you pick some names that existed. That's it. But based on a book, I don't really have a prejudice. I just, if it's a book I've read, I just expect them to understand the story that they're telling. Um, and if it's a book I haven't read, I just expect to still be entertained by a good story, good acting, good writing, you know, the overall cinema experience kind of thing. It's funny you bring up uh, based on true events because I just saw a trailer the other day for a, a Russell Crowe movie where he's like the Pope's exorcist. And it's like, yeah. oh, based on true events. It's like, okay, this guy existed <laughs> with this name and that's probably about it. Yeah, yeah well, so was paranorm Paranormal Activity, right? <laughs> um, but for this, like, to your question, it's really, really hard for me to answer that because in doing research for today, I... Basically, my main takeaway was that 90% of movies are based on books, and I didn't even know it, um, mostly because, I mean, I haven't, I'm going to sound really dumb here, but I haven't read a book in like 15 years. Um, I used to, like, a lot of my experience today is going to be around, like, like YA novels, um, like uh, the like the Artemis Fowls and the uh, the Hunger Games type stuff that I used to read when I was, like, in high school, university. Um but then, like, it's such a wide range because you, you'll you have something like, I don't know, so, something like really deep, like, not deep, but like really detailed and in-depth, like Lord of the Rings. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have something like 
like a like a popcorn movie like Bullet Train, which apparently is also based on a book. I just found that out like yesterday. So it's I I can't even I mean, number one, I don't really have a prejudice because most of the time I don't realize that what I'm watching is based on a book. And then on the other hand, like when I do realize it, it, I don't know, it doesn't really change anything for me. It just, it feels like a, it's just a fact of life now. Um, considering there's not a whole lot of IPs left. Like the, I mean, what, like 65 is <laughs> a recent example of something that's not based on anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I mean, you keep saying recent, but even a lot of the earliest movies that came out, because our history is telling stories either verbally or, like, at that point in time in the written form. So early movies, like, very early movies, like the 1920s and all this kind of stuff, like, even um, things like Nosferatu and um, Metropolis, Frankenstein, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, of course we know, they're yeah. all based on books, right? They didn't just pull them out of the air and be like, oh, we're going to do something wild on, on screen and this new technology. It was, they took stories that existed and was like, I'm going to make this come to life is what happened. So it's not, it's not a new thing, but I think our ability to get information about it is a new thing. Cause I don't think people originally knew Metropolis was based on a book until like 40 years later, or like when, they had the Academy Awards or, or something like hmm. that. And that's when they're just like, oh, this is based on something that existed, you know? Um, whereas now I think they can't even hide it or it's a, it's a scheme to get, uh, to draw in a bigger audience because if you like the book, you're going to love the movie <laughs> and bring people over. So that might be part of it as well. Oh, we're going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think for me, it, like there's kind of, I mean, there's probably many types of movies that are based on books, but there's the the type that I don't like, or maybe the type that is more difficult for filmmakers to make is where the book is actually well known and has a following. And this, this probably applies to other types of IPs like video games and like stuff based on comics and stuff like that. But when you're, when you have that audience that understands what the material is and has a certain expectation of what they want it to be because that limits the filmmaker in terms of what they can actually produce. And in my opinion, some of the best adaptations out there are the ones where, you know, the director has the power to say, a movie is not a book. They are different mediums. There's different things that you have to tell. And I'm going to, you know, do it my own way. Um, a very a famous example would be The Shining, where Stephen King hated Stanley Kubrick's version of his story. But it's also regarded as one of the better movies of all time, obviously because Stanley Kubrick's a really good director, but because he felt like he needed to do his own thing. Even like there's a lot of people that complain these days around Lord of the Rings and the TV shows not being faithful. The movies are not super faithful either. Like you look at somebody like a Tom Bombadil that they cut out and like certain like, <laughs> characters that they worked around because Peter Jackson understood like a book is different than a movie. There's some things you can. So I, I like when directors who are making an adaptation make it their own. And I don't like when a source material comes with a certain fan base that says, oh, you've got to do it like this. This character has to be like this. You have to be faithful because it kind of like limits a director in terms of what they can produce and, and the story that they can tell when, you know, they're completely different stories. Um, but I do like the idea of basing something on a book where 
it is actually going somewhere. Um, and this isn't a movie example, but the, uh, oh, how come I can't think of the, the name of the show? There's a, a sci-fi show that's based on last of us. No, no, no. Uh, Amazon uh. TV show that was like big budget. And then they recently like cut before they ended the series. Um, the expanse. Are you that's t- it. the expanse? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you can tell that somebody started that story and they knew where it was going to go and they were telling it all the way through. Same same reason that a lot of people like Marvel Cinematic Universe because it felt like it was going somewhere, at least at a certain point. Um, whereas there's so many like movies these days, especially original ones, where if the first one's successful, it's like, okay, the sequel is let's do it again as opposed to let's tell a story. So I do like when you know things are based on books, you know, multiple books especially, where it's, they know they want to get somewhere. There's actually like a planned out story as opposed to just kind of making it up as they go along. I I absolutely agree with you. Um, I actually was having this because I brought up I was doing this today. I actually had this discussion yesterday with some friends of mine. And like I said, I'm like, people have to remember book medium and a visual medium are two very different things. And some things you can do in a book, you can't do on a, on the screen. And some things you do on the screen, you can't do in a book without confusing people or alienating some of your viewers or just not getting across the point you want to get up across. And like, I think as even franchises, like, uh, specifically we're talking about Harry Potter. I don't like Harry Potter. They like Harry Potter. Um, I don't like the movies. I've never read the book, so I can't say anything about the books. Um, but I was like, my biggest problem, it's not that it's a wizard and it's a kid and blah, 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 blah. It is that, like, especially with, like, the first movie, the story that they tell is choppy and doesn't make any sense. So to me, as a person who hasn't read the book, these threads that they're apparently putting through did not connect with me at all. And that's one of my biggest problems with the franchise is that I see the first movie, it's choppy. I don't connect with any characters. I just don't care. So why am I going to watch the rest? But of course, for book readers, they're just like, oh, this is this part and this is this part. And the reason why they're here and they got to tell you a whole backstory. And they're like, but that's not on screen. So how am I supposed to know this? And that's one of my biggest problems. And and this is why I don't I try my best not to judge a movie by its source material, because you can still have a really great movie and it not be faithful to source material. Like people can watch it, understand it and be part of the world and not know anything about the background. And if it's on screen, then you've done a good job of making this movie. And that's what I'm looking for. Well, using that like specific example, especially with Harry Potter, because I, I was a really big fan back then. And I think one of the biggest challenges, not only just for Harry Potter, but for like a lot of books, uh, movies based on books, but especially Harry Potter, is that um, it's told from like the perspective of Harry, where you're th- like, it's always talking about what he's thinking or like just things that you can't convey on screen, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the detail in the book is not is it's lost when you when you mm-hmm. put into a movie and i think during the first few i actually disagree i think the first few were like they were okay they were they did okay with uh kind of just following the story but but having it live action i think in the later movies they started running into this issue i can't remember exactly what it was but they I think because they couldn't exactly show what happened in the book, they kind of took the story in a little different direction. 
Um, and I just remember watching like the fifth, or, like the the fifth or the sixth one, thinking, how are they going to to follow the same ending? Because now it doesn't make sense. Like what they're doing in the movie doesn't make sense with what happened in the books anymore. Um, and I really I feel bad for not being able to say exactly what that was because I can't remember. And I I'm not going to go back and watch Harry Potter again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it like that also like just the type of details that you can show or that you can convey in a book that you can't do in a movie, I think is one big problem. And I think that's also shown really well in the difference between Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. <laughs> um, because like great books, like really long. I, I just, I read them a long time ago. Um, Lord of the Rings, I think are great. I, I know we kind of disagree on this, Tracy, listening yes, back to <laughs> one of your old podcasts. I mean, Granted, they are three and a half hours long each, but like I, I feel like the Lord of the Rings movies were like, it was a good story, action and story drags a little bit. That's fine, but then the the same thing that they tried to do, or that Peter Jackson tried to do with The Hobbit, is like, it, it, it's I think he started getting hung up on those details. Aside from it being like completely unnecessary, he started getting up hung up on those details like within the book, um, it, like stretching one book into three movies, he started picking out small details that you normally don't see in a movie adaptation, right? And then he started like making parts of the movie from that book that just you didn't really care about and dragged and weren't really fun to watch. And I think that's the biggest reason why the Hobbit movies were so bad compared to the Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, those are like the, the, the most clear examples that I can think of. Well, I, I mean, and I think that's the problem with some filmmakers when they're trying so hard to make sure that they tell the whole story from like these detailed books is that they end up not being able to edit themselves and like what's really boring or what's not coming across right or what's not really adding to the story. But they're like, no, it's in the book. So it has to be on screen. I'm like, but it's in the book for a different reason that you're putting it on screen. It's not, it's not interesting, right? Like, like a, a lot of movies that are translated, they have a lot of exposition, exp stopping and explaining every little thing. And somebody's like talking too much or just like, just get on with the story. <laughs> like, why are you still talking? Um, but then we also have a problem with some movies where they don't give you any exposition or they forget to show you something because if you read the book, you would know why this is happening. And then you've also alienated your, your audience as well, because they're just like, well, I just don't understand. You didn't give me anything about what's going on here. <laughs> and like a movie that I think manages to do that, like cover all those bases so well. And for the same reason, you think that the Harry Potter movies did not work later on because it's all from Harry's point of view is Fight Club. Whereas you mm. have an unnamed character, it's all from his point of view. He's seeing everything in this twisted way, but they managed to translate that. It's what David Lynch uh, managed to translate that and his screenwriter into purely visual world building storytelling. And there's no wasted space or time in the movie. And the movie is long. It's Two, it's over two hours and they keep the essence of the book 
They understand the characters from the book and they keep a lot of very iconic scenes from the book so that you don't lose your the book readers, but you also don't alienate the people who haven't read the book. And so it can be done. You just have to have the people who know how to do it right based on the property. I, yeah. I do agree. Sorry, Carson, really quick. I do agree with that example for Fight Club, but it also helps a lot for that specific movie that I think Edward Norton is also narrating, right? Mm -hmm. So like he also has the chance to talk about what's in his mind. Um, or sorry, his character. Well, yeah, his character um, also gives that detail of what he's thinking. And it. I mean, I don't think it would be possible to make that kind of movie without that, just because like how complex of a mind fuck it is. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, otherwise I do agree. Yeah, I think that's an important note that you said, Tracy, around the essence of what you're trying to tell. Because, you know, all the details, they're, they're in a story for a reason. And it's because you're trying to get the audience to feel a certain thing or because you're having a character go through a certain arc or a certain journey. And in, in a movie, you, like two hours is not a lot of time. Like you don't have much story that you can tell. And so the majority of your time is getting your audience to feel what's going on. It's to show it visually. It's to have like the emotion around it. Whereas a book is much more like here are events that are happening. Um, which is a thing that really annoys me about kind of the, the later Avengers movies is you have so many different characters. There's so many different events that you have to pack into like two and a half hours that it's literally just like, here's a series of events happening and it's like this scene happens and this scene happens and this scene happens. And it's in a movie, you really need to have the ability to take your time. And so boiling down to what is the overall essence of the book? What is the essence of the journey that they're going on? Because then you have to find a different way to tell that, that kind of fits the movie medium, which a book medium would have a completely different way of getting through. Carson, um, Carson never misses a chance to shit on the Marvel movies. <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to change it because I am going to disagree with you, even though I agree that the later Marvel movies are problematic, but <laughs> definitely not for the reason you're saying, is all I want to say. Because, Get him, Tracy. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, the early Marvel movies took their time because they wanted to make sure the audience knew the characters, where they come from, where their motivations are, and the story, the possibility of the story that's going to come after. So they took their time without wasting your time. That's a very important separation, right? Um, and the later Marvel movies, they happen quickly because they're like, well, we don't have to tell you anything because we've already shown you everything. You know who these people are. We don't need any exposition. Here's some shit that happens. And my thing is that, so people are complaining now that there are no standalone Marvel movies. Like you can't just watch a Marvel movie. And there's, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. If you've watched all the movies, this is a series of films fine i don't see any problem with that it's when you change the medium like if if you go from medium to medium and expect the person to know the different mediums then then i have a problem with it but as soon as you're just like here's a bunch of movies and you should have seen them in this order it's just like reading the books <laughs> you can't pick up the third lord of the rings book and you know and then explain everything that happens before it you know, you should have read the other two books. And that's how I feel about the movies as well. But I also agree with you that the later Marvel movies are problematic 
because the stories have gotten bad and they seem to be losing their characters. So that's the other side of that coin. I I get where you're coming from that you don't have to establish the characters because you already know them. And I, yeah, I don't expect that somebody who hasn't watched anything of the MCU is going to walk into Endgame and like that movie should not be customized to people who haven't seen it because obviously it's the, the end of a longer journey. But what annoyed me about Endgame was I, I was expecting it to, to not be very good. And I actually quite enjoyed the first two thirds of it because it ended up being kind of a very tight knit story about a group of characters that I had already established going on like this time heist. And I was like, Oh, this, this is, this is a good story. I'm here for a story and I'm, I'm getting it. And I'm, there's a resolution. There's character arcs happening with these characters that link back to other movies and then the whole third, final third of the movie is just, let's just bring back every Marvel character because you got to have that nice conclusion where everyone's fighting. <laughs> and I just I just wanted the end of the story that I had been watching for the previous two hours because, you know, that's why I go to the movies. I go to go to see a story. I want to see the beginning and middle and end of a story, not, you know, two episodes that seem like they're unrelated to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, after the big battle, they like wrap it up every like very nicely. They they end the stories. I mean, it's within like 10, 15 minutes after like a 30 minute battle. But, you know, it's OK. <laughs> I um, So I know we're way off topic here, but I'm going to bring this up as well. So I've been watching season three of The Mandalorian, um, which links back to a lot of stories that come from the Clone Wars and Rebels TV series. Um, they also had the trailer come out for the Ahsoka TV series, which seems to kind of further connect to the Rebels timeline. And it it does make me wonder, because Star Wars kind of screwed up their movies, they didn't really know what to do there, if they will have a bunch of TV series that lead up to an event movie like Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, that it's like, here's just an event and you have to have watched all the TV shows to get there. But it's like, I think I would be okay with it as long as the movie itself is a good story, not just like here is a two hour long episode that connects to these TV shows. Yeah, that's and and that's always the tricky part. And I I agree with you. I'm like the movie of like, even if you have an IP that spans books, movies, TV shows, blah, 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 like comic books, everything, whichever medium that you're on, should be the area the people should be like their history should be like if you're watching the movies you should be able to like watch those movies without having history of reading like the three books and watching four tv shows before watching that movie like it's just unnecessary and of course marvel is in that world right now because if you miss certain tv shows you're just like well how did they get here they just assume you've watched everything and Star Wars is the same way, um, where it's like, no, we we assume that you've read these four books and watched this TV show and read this one comic book that's like <laughs> not canon, but now we're kind of making it canon because it's kind of cool. So we'll just let you know about it. And then you have to go online and search what does this mean? And you get like 35 articles about how this relates back to something that's even long time ago year in a galaxy far far away year and a thing that happens and you're just like so i have to do homework after i watch a movie you're like oh my god this is too much i'm kind of a, you know what i do homework anyway when I, after i watch a movie usually because i like looking into the 
like the IMDb, IMDb and like those ex- uh, ending explained videos and all that stuff. I think I'm just the the perfect pawn, the perfect sheep for all these. <laughs> but I think yeah. there's a difference between like something inspiring you to want to know more about the world versus uh, something that required more knowledge in order for you to enjoy it. Um, an example I'll bring up is the Warcraft movie, which I, I recently rewatched and I think I liked a lot more than other people. I've never played the World of Warcraft games. I did not know anything about the lore. There's a lot of problems with that movie, but I feel like it's a very interesting self-contained story that made me want to know more so i I went out after i kind of researched the lore and and went through it because they're definitely not going to make any more sequels to that um (laughs) but i i felt that it was still it was a movie it was a there was a beginning a middle and an end it was self-contained but it was interesting to build the world versus i do find myself sometimes in mandalorian season three being like oh i need to go research season four of clone wars because i don't understand what they're referencing right now which is like it shouldn't be like that like you should be able to connect but still still understand what your story is and tell your story well i feel like for warcraft specifically there that's a very um ed, like it's a very special case just because the games, if I'm remem- remembering them correctly, because I played them a really long time ago, but there's not, there's not really a whole lot of story with the original games to to, to be, uh, to be uh, what's the word? Oh my god, to be faithful to, yeah. to be faithful to. Um, like basically, all they needed to make a Warcraft movie was like, there's people, there's orcs, they're fighting. Why are they fighting? And let's show them fighting. So that's why it was like successful as a story and it was enjoyable to watch. Um, and then there's like magic stuff and like the, the green, uh, go like soul thing, whatever, all that stuff is like cool stuff to watch. Also interesting story to follow. I mean, cause then you have counterpoint with something like, I don't know, battleship, which is also based <laughs> on a game. <laughs> and, and it, that just does not work at all because your selling points are like, Oh, we have Rihanna, and um, <laughs> there's also explosions and stuff, but there's absolutely zero story, um, and it's just it's not as fun to watch because I, I don't really even know where I'm getting at. I think I had a good point at the beginning, <laughs> um, but you, I think you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, again, I think like you're making the same point. You're like, I just want a good story, and you did not give me a good story. This one did, this one didn't, and it's not the the IP that's to blame. It's the people creating the the visual world that they're giving us. And with Warcraft, I agree with you. I actually thought that was a perfectly good comic book movie. It's better than a lot of comic book, um, not comic book, sorry, video game movie. Because um, I mean, if you've seen movies like Max Payne, for example, that is just <laughs> pure torture. To look at. Like it's ridiculous. But then you see Warcraft and you're just like, yeah, it's like hyper, it's weird, their armor is like gigantic. I'm like, that's that's just like a nod to the like the video game. But you don't have to know that to like mm-hmm. ignore it after about 10 minutes when you start getting to know the characters. So it works. I, I feel like it it's a bit easier if you have an IP that isn't too defined. Like to your point, Paulo, like maybe the, the lore isn't that defined in it gave them the story to say hey we're just gonna find our own story to tell within this world that said you can still screw that up because it's not like battleship has very defined (laughs) lore that they needed to follow like you still need to do it well but i I was thinking about this when we were researching because some of my favorite 
I was looking at some of my favorite movies of all time and over the last few years, and there's a few of them that are based on short stories. And I like how short stories can translate to movies because it gives you a concept, an idea. Um, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. Um, there's a bunch of movies made from Philip K. Dick short stories that were really just an initial concept, but there's so much kind of extra meat there for somebody to go tell a story in that they're not restricted to telling the same story that he wrote in a particular way. They're just kind of taking an idea and expanding on it, which is, I think, easier than taking an expanded story and trying to shrink it down to a movie. Is, is uh, the Green Knight one of those, Carson? Uh, I guess that kind of counts as a short story. <laughs> Sorry, Tracy, this is like, we've had an argument about this one. <laughs> I have not, it is on my list of movies to watch, but I have not watched The Green Knight yet. Um, but I have friends that are on two different camps about that movie. Uh, two friends are just like, uh, that is, it's just a waste it's pretty, but it's a waste of time. It is boring, right? The other, <laughs> the other people are just like, it is a masterpiece. <laughs> like it is film making. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm, I, like I think that's also why I didn't see it in the theater because if I thought it was a waste of space, I would just been so angry sitting in that theater. But also, I feel bad for not seeing it in the theater because if I think it's a masterpiece, then seeing it on a big screen would have been amazing. But it's too late for that. I just have to find a mood to sit down and watch it at some point in time. You could just go to a museum. It's the same thing. <laughs> Look at some pretty painting. No, like, I'm, I'm yeah. oddly enough in both camps where it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a waste of time, but it's also very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but I, uh, going back, I do agree with you with uh, a lot of Philip K. Dick stories. Um, I have read a couple of his books and his short stories. And the reason why I actually love a lot of the movies that are based on his stuff is that, A, the concepts are great and they're amazing. And the worlds they end up building are very cool. But I find his writing difficult to read. It's just the way he writes is very dry um, and... I cannot get into the stories on the page. It takes me a very long time to read this, these books. Cause like do Android dream of electric sheep is like 230 pages or something. I usually can read that in like two, three days tops. Right. That's me taking it easy. And it, it takes me, it took me like months to read that book. Cause I'd read like a page and be like, I don't what? And put it down, <laughs> you know, but then you see a movie like Blade Runner, which a, has almost nothing to do with the book, to be honest. Like, if you've read the book, like, the stories only slightly interject, uh, just letting you know. But the fact that they still got the essence of the world and the dreary dystopianness of the world and just created this space that's so interesting and so deep and has so much stuff without an excessive amount of exposition and description makes it amazing but then also you have you know ben affleck's paycheck and then you're just like what did you do that then that's just a different end of that whole storyline i think that was john Wu's fault for paycheck (laughs) (laughs) yeah that movie is brutal um but then you've got like minority report and a scanner darkly reading a scanner darkly is as confusing as watching the first half of the A Scanner Darkly movie. <laughs> I have never finished that book. I probably can't critique it, but it is, you are supposed to be as confused as Keanu Reeves' character, and it is just confusing. 
so, but they managed to pull a story out of it and create a movie that is weird and funny and interesting. And by the last scene of the movie, you're just like, oh my God, I get it. But you got to work to get to the end of the scene. So, yeah. Sorry, I'm just Googling Philip K. Dick right now. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't know how it didn't come up or how, sorry, it, how he didn't come up when I was doing research for this, considering like, yeah, you mentioned Minority Report and Blade Runner and uh, Scanner Darkly. Total Recall, like, yeah. Oh, okay, so that's also a movie I wanted to bring up because people have been so angry about the 2012 version about how they didn't go to Mars and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, the original book, they don't go to Mars. What are you talking about? They're being faith more faithful to the source material than they were previously, but everybody's mad that nobody <laughs> got to say, get your ass to Mars at any point in time. So, you know, it's, it's things like that I always find interesting. I'm like, because even things like Jurassic Park, for example, Michael Crichton, yes, he is a huge author. People had read a lot of his books and stuff, but the audience of people who saw Jurassic Park had nothing to do with the book, right? So you didn't know the characters. You didn't know what the story was supposed to be. You're just like, it's dinosaurs. I made dinosaurs in those apart. But if you read the book, it's like a lot of it is there, but it is that movie is like 10% of the book. The characters, one thing I found really interesting about the character descriptions in the book was that he described them as personality traits than physical attributes. He never said they were tall or short or black or white or Asian or whatever. He was just like, he's a hard man who, you know, was a chain smoker. And you're just like, I have a picture in my head that works. You know, it was stuff like that. So nobody argued that, no, this black, this guy was black and this guy was Asian and this guy was white and, you know, why they make this person a girl and all this kind of stuff. Because, like, for example, in the book, the kids are reversed where the boy's older, the girl's younger, and they suck. But in the, <laughs> the movie, they make them great and they switch them around and they still, you know, do all the Unix system stuff and they make it cool. So it's like, it's like if there isn't a fan base that's loud enough, Nobody cares about these differences, but if it's well known enough, that's when you get the people who are just yelling and screaming about all of this minutia, but you're just like, but it's, but it's good. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Well, do you think that if Jurassic Park had a louder fan base, we wouldn't have gotten, uh, or it would have been better. uh, Jesus, I can't even speak. The last two (laughs) movies that we got of Jurassic Park would have, or sorry, Jurassic World would have been better. If we had some uh, some complainers in the fan base. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, a lot of people who like the first Jurassic Park movie are like, Jurassic World sucks. So you also have that fan base as well, where you're just like, you're making it completely different, which they <laughs> did. And I think one of the reasons why the first movie worked so well and the all of the sequels after don't work so well is because the first movie that yes there happened to be dinosaurs but the movie has nothing it's not about the dinosaurs it's about this world where you're like scientists were like i'm gonna do this because i can and they're just like what's wrong with you and you know the the concept of like control and if i throw money at things it'll be perfect and and all this kind of stuff and but 
you know, the outcome of this was dinosaurs, whereas the movies afterwards were just like, look, everybody, we got more dinosaurs on screen and there, there happen to be people getting eaten. And that's, and that's the problem. Cause if you, especially if you read the book, the books are written more like a, like a thriller. Like it, it starts with, uh, like an investigation and then it turns into like this dark thing and then if they get then after the investigation they end up on Jurassic Park and that's when they go on the the like the tour and that's when things fall apart um and then Lost World is nothing like the book I'm also still surprised nobody's complained about that but yeah I really like the Lost World though (laughs) oh my god I mean it's definitely better than the stuff that came after Jurassic Park 3 was just a waste of time um but, uh, but yeah, I know like Lost World is completely different and I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about like the precipice of where it like was true to the book versus just completely money-making, it yeah. was Lost World was like right on that precipice for me. It was like kind of still trying to be like the book, but also like, um, just dinosaurs eating people um, while still having kind of like pseudo philosophical conversations, like 30 seconds maybe of it. (laughs) And then right after that, it's like, uh, I don't even remember the name of the third one. And then Jurassic World was just like in the valley of (laughs) just dinosaur carnage and nothing else. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, you know? But uh, here's a question for you then, because I... I'm not a huge fan of being required to stay loyal and faithful. I think that you should have the freedom to explore a different genre and explore like the different stories that you can tell. But what obligation, like if you're going to make a Jurassic World movie, or I think you can say the same thing for Star Trek because that's changed a lot since what the original vision of Star Trek was. If you're signing up to do that franchise, what obligation do you have, if any, to remain faithful at any degree? And here I'm going to explain a little bit more first as well. There's a Dungeons and Dragons movie that just came out. I like playing Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't seen it. But Dungeons and Dragons doesn't really have a story. It's like a template. So how can you make a movie on Dungeons and Dragons? Like you might as well just say you're making a generic fantasy, like swords and sorcery movie. Obviously the reason why they're calling it Dungeons and Dragons is money. People recognize the name. But what obligation do they have to stay loyal in any way? Or do they not? I just like, I just want to throw that question out. If you know, Star Trek, Jurassic World, Dungeons and Dragons, p- whatever, pick your one. But like, should they have to align in some way? Okay, you're you're killing me with <laughs> because I have a ridiculous amount of opinions of uh, all of those things and everything that you've just said. Um, so be prepared. Um, I'm just gonna mute myself. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take over the conversation, and, and the the problem is, is that. Um, like I've seen Dungeons and Dragons, I, I accidentally managed to see it twice. Uh, once for work the new one? and one the new one, yeah. Okay. I I went out to see it with my friends, and then a work thing happened, and we got free tickets, and I was like, sure, I'll go see it again. <laughs> I mean, I got three hours out of work for no reason. I was fine. <laughs> um, and I also play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I am a um, dragonborn uh, barbarian who has a battle axe, whose name is Jadzia Bloodring. I'm um, born too. What? It's good <laughs> stuff, right? Um, so, like, I have, a, I am not, like, I've never been a dungeon master or anything, but 
um, I have a background and I know some of the creatures, I know some of the world and like, I know enough about it to be, to get a lot of the jokes in the movie. And the movie is structured in a way that you don't have to know anything about Dungeons and Dragons to get it. But if you know, with like a lot of things, if you know Dungeons and Dragons, you get more of the jokes. Like, for example, there's, which is, this is something I didn't actually pick up on, people I saw it with picked up on this, was there's a scene in a labyrinth and there's another group of people and they are dressed like the Dungeon Dragon character from the cartoon from the eighties. And they're killing themselves. I'm like, what's so funny? Is it cause they're scared? I don't know what's happening. And then they experience was like, oh, that's really funny. But if they weren't there laughing at that, I'd just be like, oh, they're another group in the labyrinth. And there's nothing wrong with that. They've got things about like the gelatinous cube and like they meet, they meet dragonborns. They meet different races. They meet, they have like, um, one of them's a bard, one of them's a rogue, one of them's um, a, a sorcerer and all this kind of stuff. So if you know the titles and you, you know how the characters are supposed to be, they don't tell you they're a bard. They don't tell you they're, well, no, the wizard, they like, they need a wizard so they go find one. But like, if you don't know, you can pick out, if you know, sorry, you can pick out who is who. And yeah, it's a relatively generic, um, like fantasy story, but it comes across as people who play the game took some of their own dialogue while they were playing the game on a Sunday and they were drunk and <laughs> they put it in there. So there's this like, there's a, there's a real humor to it, but it's still like a legit adventure and it's a legit world that they build with great characters and all this kind of stuff compared to the one from what 2001 or something like that where it, they just took themselves way too seriously they're like we are doing a serious you know film about fantasy and taking over a land and you're just like oh shut up Ugh. You know? <laughs> um so like i think they stay faithful enough to the dungeon dragon ip that it makes sense and people will enjoy it. Um, now, the thing with Star Trek, which is one of my um, regular topics on my podcast, um, is that you do have to stay faithful to the world is what it is. You, you can tell different stories from different perspectives, but you have to stay faithful to the world. And a lot of the problems with, especially with like discovery is I find that they don't stay faithful to the world in any way, shape or form. But also my biggest thing with that series was like the first season wasn't Star Trek, but it was pretty decent sci-fi. So I, I enjoyed the first season, but everything after that was a clusterfuck of nonsense. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it out there. Um, and so it's because they just ignored everything about the world that they were a part of, which alienated their audiences, which made the stories they were telling didn't actually make any sense. And you were just confused a lot of the time. Can you give um, like an example? Sorry, like just because I'm as a casual, a Star Trek casual. Um, um, I will call myself a Trekkie. Um, <laughs> and things that really annoyed me is that technology, for example, in it. So Discovery, the show starts 10 years before Kirk's Enterprise, which is 
the original series. Um, and we have had Enterprise, which takes place a hundred years before Kurt comes along. But if you watch the show, even though the, the, the ship and the technology looks shinier and brighter, it stays true to the development level that you would think would be at that time if they're going into space. There's, so there's no, there's nothing crazy. Whereas if you watch the original series, there's no holodecks. There's no, um, like you can project some holograms in certain ways, but there's no interactive like holograms and things like that. There's no hologram um, technology that you can, um, communication system with mm -hmm. other things. And there are very specific episodes of Next Generation and Deep Space Nine that's like, no, this is the first time we're using this. This is the first time this was created. This is the first time we're doing this. This is the first time this was created. And this technology works in this specific way, right? And I understand that you want to have a show where, yes, it's a new show, but it takes place in a quote unquote old time mm. and you can make it look good without ignoring stuff that came before it. And it's simple things like that, that frustrate me. Okay. Um, so it's like, um, like my thing with uh, Blade Runner, for example, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, one of the reasons why I love 2049 is that it does not ignore the stuff that came before it, where I find a lot of sequels do. And he he clearly, like Villeneuve clearly paid attention to like, so if we were in this world and so this world is rainy, but then there's been some sort of ecological disaster. Now this world is dry and dusty how would a new car look like or how would someone's home look like or how would somebody interact with their space knowing that this thing happened? And things don't look, you know, out of left field. They look like, no, 40 years have passed and this is what it looks like now. You're like, this makes sense. Um, and I think like when movies don't do that is when you're just like, what are you doing? You've taken me out of this space. And that's why one of the, like the prequels don't work for the same reason. It takes place before, takes place before like the original trilogy, but everything in it looks 10 times more advanced than the original trilogy does. The Star Wars so then, prequels. Yeah. And so yeah. then it just takes me out of the world. And this is what Discovery did. And this is what a lot of like sequels that prequels do are like, I'm like, you were ignoring the source material. You don't have to be faithful to it. Not everything has to be like this specific thing in this specific way, but have like, pretend you know the other <laughs> stuff, you know? I, th I think one factor that feeds into that though, is like specifically talking about the prequel, like the Star Wars prequels versus the original trilogy is just... The original trilogy is so old, <laughs> mm -hmm. and when you look at the prequels, everything is like you said about uh, I think Discovery. Like everything's very clean, and like the 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 CGI is much better, um, and like it it just looks newer. Like it's 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 hard to I don't know. It, it's hard to give off that effect of like everything being older and not quite to the level of what was uh, in the original trilogy when you have like you you can do so much right with with the cgi the, i mean um, obviously that's not the whole thing mm -hmm. um but i mean like I, I feel like that's i slightly disagree 
uh, like because I've made the like like Enterprise compared to um, Star Trek the original series, which mm-hmm. came out in the nineties and but takes place a hundred years previous. Yes, the CGI is better. It looks newer. It's shinier. But if you pay attention to the actual show, they they do things like things in Star Trek, like Red Alert, for example, and certain things happen when Red Alert happens is in Star Trek and everything that comes after. In Enterprise, you see like the security officer trying to come up with protocols and what to call it, for example, right? So you see the introduction of this this thing that you're very Mm -hmm. familiar with. And the technology they're using this, yes, it looks a little shiny, it looks a little cleaner, but instead of like big view screens and like, you know, cool things projecting places, it's just lights and buttons. And they're just like, I think this is what we're doing. And and this is it. (laughs) Let me give this a try, you know? And it's, so you're like, oh no, this is like the precursor to these cool view screens and this cool thing, even though it still looks newer than what was there and the problem with those prequels for star wars is that this doesn't look like something that came before the stuff in star wars this looks like the stuff that comes 100 years after the stuff in star wars i i guess yeah that's fair oh but also like i mean that's not the main problem with the prequels <laughs> Correct. Um, yes i mean yeah but i i think i'm on I the guess, other end yeah. of the spectrum of respected enough but like i'm gonna go in like i don't want everything to have to link to everything especially when you get in these franchises like star wars or star trek that have been going on for 50 60 years and there's so much background because you get into what's going on with star wars right now and there's there's so much detail that people are trying to explain things which are clearly just like movie errors and so it's like I want to not care. I'm going in to watch a movie. I don't want to have to link to the things. So if if you if you screw up a few details and if it doesn't make sense, I'm just going to ignore it as long as you've made a general effort to respect the franchise. Like for Star Wars, uh, it was before the Empire, so they were in a richer time of society. The galaxy's been going on for six, ten thousand 10,000 years or whatever. I don't, I don't care if the prequels look a little shinier than the original trilogy because you can excuse it away with, like, dystopian. The reality is just, you know, you're making a movie 40 years later, so of course it's going to look a lot nicer. Like, those type of things, like, I want to forgive, as much as Paul probably knows me as, like, a nitpicky type of guy, like, I want to forgive all of those details in the aim of storytelling, but there are times where things are... I don't want to say so disrespectful because like I'm trying to think of a good example, but like Star Trek being different and Jurassic world going in a completely different direction. Like I don't care as long as the movie's okay. As long as you're doing your own thing, like go do it. Like I'm not a huge fan of people requiring everything to be faithful because I think it limits the storytelling. Agree. I like, don't get me wrong. I love the Jurassic park movies. I love what they did with it. Um, I think the books are really good as well. And I think it would be interesting if they made that book into a movie, but I wouldn't change Jurassic Park Park for anything. Like it's good. It stays faithful to the world that you're in and it makes a story that's interesting and enjoyable that you want to be a part of. I mean, I think um, most recently, so I've, I've picked up doing um, books on 
tape or sorry, audiobooks, books on tape. It's not a thing anymore. <laughs> Cassette uh, tape. <laughs> right. Get my pencil out and like. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so audio. I've been really into audiobooks lately. So listen, like coincidentally, I have listened to a lot of books that were made into movies, um, which includes like this was like a month ago I listened to like the Jurassic Park books and I did like I did Frankenstein and Starship Troopers and uh, Conan the Barbarian and like all that kind of stuff and it surprises me how different these books are than the movies but also it impresses me so much that they they got the characters right and they got the essence of the world right with but making a different story from it but without losing the premise of the books for example and i agree with you i don't think the genre has to be the same i don't think you have to have everything but if you're making a movie you have to stay true to that movie world and the movie parameters that you put out there counterpoint um <laughs> I mean, like, this is just not really a counterpoint, but also just kind of a, a chance for me to continue to shit on uh, Artemis Fowl, which <laughs> I, I've talked about before on our Instagram. But it's like one of those YA uh, novel type uh, movies, or sorry, YA novels changed to a movie that I was like really looking forward to because it was something that I used to read back in high school. And I was always wondering, like, I was always worried about how they would adapt one of this particular characters. I'm not sorry, characters. I'm not sure, Tracy, if you're familiar, but I am not at all with them. Totally fine. It's obscure. Mm -hmm. There's a character where who's a dwarf, and apparently dwarves in this world can like they're really good at tunneling, but the way that they tunnel is that they unhinge their jaws, they eat the dirt, and then they shit it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And that's a really big plot point in a okay. lot of the books. So I was like, yeah, this this world is great. It's really interesting. I just have no like I'd like to I'd like to see them make it a movie, but I have no idea how they're going to represent that character without completely changing him. And then come to realize Disney finally made that movie. They kept him, and then everything else was just like completely just garbage and like the like nothing to the story. All the other characters sucked, but they kept this one guy who could still shit out dirt to tunnel. Oh my god. Okay. Um, that is <laughs> not what I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but it definitely wasn't that. Um, but like, how did they? Like, it's a Disney. So I, I'm assuming they're not showing somebody just shitting dirt everywhere. No, it's uh, like it's off screen. You see the dirt flying, and like he's he's. <laughs> Alluding to what he's about to do. <laughs> There's like a, a flap in his pants, you know. Oh my um. god. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think too for like like YA audiences, like you're reading that and you're like, that is hilarious. <laughs> but then you gotta make it into I'll put it on screen and you're just like, I think this is wrong. Like are we allowed to do this? I, I don't I don't know. This this doesn't seem right. <laughs> and, and like there's, I mean, not that they were going to make another movie for the rest of the books because the first movie was so, like, really, really bad and it completely bombed. But, like, in, like, the the next three or four books, he, like, he's the ultimate 
plot device where he can just oh like now his beard is like a tooth or like a, a lock pick and now he like spits acid so he can just melt through walls and everyone can get away like type thing so but he's a swiss army knife like what? pretty much he's a swiss army dwarf okay. um <laughs> anyways i digress we've talked about this movie enough i just i <laughs> my disappointment i have not had enough chances to express it yeah um, actually one, okay, one book I do want to talk about, which is surprising to me, uh, which I finished listening to the other day was Frankenstein. And I was very shocked at how different the story in the book was to all of the TV shows and movies that have been presented to us about what Frankenstein is. And it is shocking to me because in the book, Frankenstein is like, sorry, Frankenstein's monster is legitimately a monster. He goes around murdering people. It's what he does. Um, and, but in all of the like media that we've been presented, it's Frankenstein was this uh, mad scientist who created this monster who wasn't, who wasn't really a monster. He just looked like a monster. He's just misunderstood. He's misunderstood. <laughs> and I was just like, that is not what this book is. What are you talking about? Um, the funny thing is, is the best representation of Frankenstein would be James McAvoy's Victor Frankenstein, where he's like, he's young and he's a student who is like obsessed with just like the idea of like science and the creation of life. Um, I mean, he he does it because his brother died. Um, but in the book, Frankenstein killed his brother instead. It's a It's a whole different thing. Um, but I was shocked. I'm like, that's the most faithful representation of like Frankenstein in the book that we've been presented with. <laughs> and it shocks me. It legitimately shocks me. Um, but that's the one I was shocked with. Um, and the other thing that shocked me um, about the book was I always thought the Bride of Frankenstein was just an idea that came from somebody else. It's in the book. They wanted, like Frankenstein wanted a mate and he's like, you have to make me a woman. And he was like, no. <laughs> All within the same book? It's all within the same book. Exactly. Oh. This is what was shocking to me. There's so much in that book. And I was like, this is very different. But at the same time, I get it. I get it. It works. <laughs> so so was Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, were they supposed to be in that uh, monster universe? They yes, were, yeah. they were. They were? Yeah. Okay, just curious. If that mummy movie wasn't so bad, we'd be watching that right now. <laughs> yes. A doctor rejection with Mr. Hyde and all that kind of stuff. Maybe this year's Frankenstein movie will be more loyal to the faith or more faithful. There to is the not material. another one. There what? is a inspired movie this year starring Emma Stone. Emma Stone is kind of like the thing that gets brought back to life. And people keep saying it's inspired by Frankenstein, but anything that I look on the actual it's called Poor Things. Uh, directed by the guy who did The Favorite and The Lobster. So it's going to be weird. Um, it's going to be weird, yeah. But I'm looking forward okay, to so it. Okay, so definitely not Las Vegas Frankenstein, which was the first Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the movie's called Poor Things. Okay. But um, Interesting. I think that's probably going to be less faithful, uh, but maybe more faithful to the essence of the story and just less faithful to the actual events. Interesting. Huh. Willem Dafoe is in it as well. Yeah. And uh, what's his Mark name? Uh, 
Mark Ruffalo. Oh shoot, yeah. I skipped right past him. I was looking for uh there's a stand-up comedian, um Jared Carmichael. Oh, Who's Gerard's in it? in it, yeah. Gerard, sorry. Who's not who I'd expect to see in a Frankenstein <laughs> uh also, I just want to say, a lot of people have never watched Victor Frankenstein with James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe, and I am sorry, you guys are missing out on, like, a great Victorian bromance that just happens to bring a monster <laughs> back to life. It's fantastic. I didn't realize you were actually on the side of, like, supporting the Victor Frankenstein movie. Oh no, it's a it's a great movie. Is it? Yeah, I, it's not it's not like Frankenstein two thousand or or I Frankenstein or no, it's I Frankenstein. No, it's Dracula two thousand. I, that's, I that's Frankenstein, yeah. It's I Frankenstein. Oh, that was, that was so bad. So I bad. I wouldn't say a great movie, but I liked it more than a lot of people did. Like people were really shitting on it, and I was like, it's it's decent. Like it's good. Um, I find it thoroughly enjoyable. I it, it just seemed like one something that just popped up for a bit and then disappeared with like no yeah no one really cared mm. it just but i have never seen it maybe this will be my 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 prompt to actually watch it for the first time after eight I, years i forget <laughs> the uh the name of the writer max landis i think um but he did a lot of like interesting stories at around that time and then i think he ran into weird legal troubles or something turned into some... be a, a sex pervert yeah oh, God. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but he he also did that um that one with jesse eisenberg and uh kristen stewart where he was like a american smoke. ultra yes he did american ultra and he did all these mm -hmm. stories where it's like this is an interesting concept that's not necessarily put together super well and so there was that there was victor oh, frankenstein yeah. there was a few others and i was it actually on chronicle board. and bright as well so. yeah yeah so it's like i was on board with like the stories that he was doing and then it's like oh it's like once again the typical story in hollywood same with like ezra miller like i i like some of the stuff that he was doing mm. early in his career and it's like oh <laughs> now, so I, mad. now i can't like this person anymore but also ezra the first my first introduction to ezra miller was um we need to talk about kevin um and Ever since I've watched that movie, I can't, like, I think he's a phenomenal, sorry, they're a phenomenal actor. Um, and I was like, this person is going to go places because they are just fantastic at such a young age. But also because it's such a, uh, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe this. This character is just vengeful for no reason. Because do, do you know about We Need to Talk About Kevin? It's a horrifying movie, yes. <laughs> it's a horrifying movie. But so every time I see their face, that's all I think about, no matter what they're doing. And I'm like, I like you, but I don't want to be in a room with you. <laughs> it's funny because I watched, I watched that movie and I remember that movie, but I, asso I disassociate Ezra Miller being into it because I, I didn't know they were they them. Um, but I remember them from... Stanford Prison Experiment and Perks of Being a Wallflower, which really good performances. And it was like, this person can really like act. And, you know, I look forward to when cast as the Flash. I, I'm, I'm a DC person. I, I was excited of it and I wanted to see where it goes. And I'm still interested in watching the Flash movie coming out this year. Um, but it's, it's like, I don't know. It's hard to be a movie person i feel like because you either have to decide to <laughs> not care about people at all and who they are behind the screen because they're all terrible people or you have to somehow limit what you like because but again 
there's probably so many people that are terrible people and we just don't know that they're terrible people yet. That's very true. Yeah. Apparently uh, I Jonathan have Majors that. now as well. Yeah, that one's that one's really upsetting to me. That's like, it. Really upsetting. Yeah. No, well, because I, I first thing I saw him in was um oh god, I'm gonna forget what the name of that movie Last is. Black Man in San Francisco. Yes, that's what it is. I um that and I well I loved it. I was confused by it, but I, I thought it was fantastic and it like stuck with me for a really long time. And then he showed back up in Lovecraft Country, which was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal show um which is also based on a book and then he showed back up in at the end of loki and i was just like we're getting kang what um and you know you know now he's in quantumania which sadly i haven't seen yet but i want to see still and i'm assuming he's fantastic in it um, it's a whole lot of fun carson's shaking his head I mean, but he, he is fantastic <laughs> in it I, I will say that yes um, and but I didn't see, I wasn't going to see Creed 3. I'm not into sports movies. Um, but I was, I am down for everything that he's in because I think he's fantastic and very easy on the eyes. So <laughs> it's a thing. Um, but then I heard that story and I was like, no, why are you doing this to me? This is upsetting. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so just fun, how it's going. Fun fact about Last Black Man in San Francisco. I saw that with my then girlfriend, now my wife, um, and Jonathan Majors in that movie he goes around with like a notepad stretching around like all his like story ideas and i told my girlfriend at the time that i wanted to be like this and she bought me this red notebook that i have here <laughs> so that um i could write down stories and it's been buried in a closet for the last three or four years and i have just now taken it out um so i can be like jonathan major's character from last black man in san francisco let's hope where that's where the similarities end Carson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe we can add on the body but Aside from that, that's <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna write some some great stories. You're gonna write some great stories in there. Yeah, um, I did have one other comment that I think needs to be brought up, um, and it's a it's a thing that's bothered me for years and years, and I am not sure if there are other examples of this, but this is the one that always stuck out to me. So Isaac Asimov is another science fiction author that uh, quite a bit of his work has been made into film. And the one that makes me angriest is iRobot. <laughs> now, iRobot is a book that Isaac Asimov wrote, right? He wrote that book. It's called iRobot. That's it. The problem is, is the story that iRobot is, is actually a book called Caliban that is... Um, based in Isaac Asimov's world. And Asimov did have a little bit of a writing credit in this book, but it's actually written by a guy named Roger McBride Allen. And it frustrates me because I'm just like, nobody knew what iRobot was in the first place. You could have just called the movie Caliban or Sunny, whatever you want to call the robot in the movie, and it would have been fine and it makes sense. But I remember watching this movie going like, I've, I've read this book. That's not the same book. These are two very different books. What's happening? And, but is there an example of people using, not just changing, not like, not like do androids dream of electric sheep to Blade Runner, not like just flat out changing the name, but like using the name of a different property for a movie that is, sort of based on like a book but really you're getting the title from something else 
or the content from something else. I, I feel like there's a lot of those. And now I'm it's making me mad because I'm blanking because I, I know I've had this problem before. Like I've went to watch a movie expecting it to be related to the whatever it's based on. And it wasn't at all. Oh, man. I think there's a lot of like the first half of that where they take the name and then they take a lot of liberties and change it. But I can't think of any examples where they do that while simultaneously stealing a completely separate story and just doing that story. Um, there's also coincidentally a lot of examples of just people stealing each other's stories because that's, you know, throughout the entire history of humanity, there's probably just a lot of people stealing each other's stories. But yeah, that that specific scenario, I'm not, I'm not aware of any other uh, examples. But on, on the top, on the, topic of iRobot that was like another one that I had not never realized it was based on a movie just like was it 2004 when I was in yeah. the midst of high school I was like wow this is awesome he's like this robots fighting and Will Smith he's so cool like fighting robots and that's pretty much where it like the the extent <laughs> of my my attention <laughs> I mean the it's actually very faithful to the Caliban book like it's very close like you know the lead scientist at this company who makes robots gets uh, killed they think um you know this robot who's supposed to have the three laws of of robotics into it it's not supposed to kill anybody and it escapes and it encounters all these people on the street and like there's there's other encounters in the book like he's walking around this the city and you see how abusive humans are to these robots um and they do things like you know taunt them to so like their head explodes or like attack them and all this kind of stuff and they won't buttle. But then Calabal's walking around going like, no, I'm not going to do this or no, you can't hit me or no, I will defend myself. And people lose their mind about it because they're like, you can't do this. But it's essentially, he's just talking about having a slave race and how, you know, like how we treat things that we believe are less than ourselves and, you know, how we need to fix this. And it's just like, and then they go through the the same story of like getting evidence and following the breadcrumbs and figuring it out and like why he's doing this. Um, I don't think the ending is the same. Like, I don't think there was like a giant AI in the building who's, you know, <laughs> killing or whatever. But, um, Vicky. Yeah. But I, uh, like, I, I don't really remember the ending, but most of the story was there. So they did stay pretty truthful to that other story they were telling. They just gave it a completely different name. And I was just like, but why? Like, I don't understand <laughs> why. This is maybe unrelated, but I wonder when we're going to get our three laws for robotics or AI. Because there's just like AI doing a lot of weird stuff these days. And I feel like we need to, as a species, decide our three laws for robotics. <laughs> This I took think a turn. It's, yeah, I think it's really funny that nobody's even talking about that. They're just like, it's Skynet and we're all going to die. That's all anybody's saying. <laughs> we just of accepted like, it. We should, we should put some protocols in there. No, no, we're just going to die. That, that's just it. We've just given up. So we're even, we're even less thoughtful than the people in the movies that we're always yelling at, like, no, don't do this. <laughs> we, we've been warned so many times about the dangers of like giving them three <laughs> or four laws that we're just like, nope, they got to just develop on their own. Well, but I also think that in uh, like the problem with giving them laws that work well is that we've seen it in like Skynet, we've seen it in um, Ultron, we've seen it in like a lot of 
robotics movies where they're like, no, your job is to protect humanity. And because robots are so disconnected, they're just like, well, humanity's in trouble because humans are horrible, kill all humans. Um, they all turn into Bender at some point. It was just like, just massacre everybody. So maybe they're also scared of that. I, I think is it's it, is forced... it, should it be troubling that that's like always how it goes? Like it's literally every single time the reasoning is that protect humans, humans are the danger. <laughs> like, I mean, it's also because they're movies and they need to have danger and action and excitement. But I I feel like it's like a trope. It's always that same trope, (laughs) I suppose. But I feel like it's forcing us to come to terms with what we are as a society, like some unwritten rules that like things that we actually value that we don't like to say out loud that we value where we will eventually need to type into a computer to say, hey, these are our values, because you know what we might have thought the values being in these old like sci-fi movies is you know we want to be safe and secure we want to have law and order and like maybe we don't actually care about that as a society maybe we are okay with people dying and people not having fear if we can benefit ourselves from it and it's like that's what we really want and we're just not having to to say it out loud but now we kind of have to say it out loud so that robots don't take over us uh, but they've they've actually done papers on the the biases of programming um, with like so like for example facial recognition and stuff like that where they're like no we're trying to teach a robot what's a person and what's not a person and then you have um, like a, a white person sitting in front of a computer and they're just like these are these are faces of people and they're feeding in only white faces and it's not because they're trying to be racist it's not because they're trying to do anything outwardly malicious it's just like they will pick faces of people that look like them that's just what you do as a person right um so then a robot goes out there and they see like an asian person or a black person or something like that and they're just like well those aren't people and then they they run over those things or ignore those things or you have like a car hitting you because that car doesn't know what a like a black person is or like a person who doesn't look have these specific types of features looks like and they're not always done maliciously it's just done because that is your personal bias right it's just like if a black programmer does it they just feed it all black people you're like then cars gonna like those self-driving cars are gonna run over white people because white people don't look like people to this car so it's like it's little biases like that that also create that problem because you're in the midst of teaching some something to this empty vessel just like children who creates an opinion based on the information they're given and then they get it wrong and then you're in trouble right i feel like all these experiences are kind of gonna they're gonna ruin that movie trope like paulo you were saying like it's always these same stories like you can't make a a story about that anymore because we're actually going through that and we know how it would happen and how it's going. We have examples of like these real situations of like what it's causing and what the dangers are. And so it's like, yeah, like I don't know what the last movie is that had that trope is, but it might, maybe it is the last movie of it. No. I'm sure there were some after <laughs> iRobot, but Megan, oh, Megan. <laughs> right. Yes. It's well, pretty I much mean, the same thing. It is. Yeah. I mean, it took, 
it took the idea of protecting this little girl to an extreme level that she just started murdering everybody who even wasn't like <laughs> slightly inconvenienced her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just like, like, Oh, you stepped in this girl's way. I'm going to stab you to death. You're just like, Oh, you're, you're going a little far when I said protector, like a little, little far. So yeah, it gets, it gets kind of crazy. So like, it's, I think it's more than just setting parameters. It's about, setting context which can be very difficult when this thing you you are creating has no idea what context is I guess <laughs> it, it's it's this weird cycle is like how far back in the program do you have to go so that this thing doesn't go crazy and that's a hard line to hit I guess I really enjoy that this is where we arrived from <laughs> movies based on books. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about Fault in Our Stars, you know, Kids <laughs> with Cancer. That's a, that's a much easier topic to talk about. A Walk uh, to Remember. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, I've tried my best to only talk about, like, books that I've read and the movies that I've watched. Because there's, as you said, there's so many out there that mm -hmm. you're just like, you know, like, even if you just think of, like, Shakespeare, everything he's written has been made into, like, a movie or a TV show, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's just, there's so much stuff. But it just depends on, I think, what you're looking for in, like, the storytelling. Because, I, I like, one of my questions I was going to ask was, like, what makes an adaptation good? Like, is it the storytelling, being faithful to the character, being faithful to the story? But I think we've kind of, like covered that where it's, it has doesn't really have anything to do with those things apparently it's just like am i enjoying myself yeah i don't think there's much correlation like there's examples of people who were 100 percent faithful and retold everything the same way and did that well and not well an example i was going to bring up is the watchman which is like shot for shot exactly the same as the comic and i love that movie it's like one of my favorite superhero movies but then there's also many examples of you know you're bringing out the hobbit of like they did way too much detail they needed to like go through this or you have you know an example like battleship where they had a free reign over an ip and they just didn't do anything with it so i don't think there's any roadmap to say this is how you do an adaptation like there's good and bad versions of basically everything out there yeah it's and that is very true it's just it's it's the level of enjoyment you get like um so the secret life of walter mitty when it first came out a lot of people who read the book was like they've missed the point of the book i have never read the book i don't know anything about the book <laughs> but i watched that movie and i was just like oh, what are you talking about this is thoroughly enjoyable i yes. like the characters i like the spaces i like what they did and it was literally about getting out there and enjoying your life even though life was coming to an end and i was like this is great what are you bitching about they're like it, they don't they miss the point of the book and i'm like but this is a movie i just just let and it be yeah and i mean those are those are the scenarios where i feel like uh, for especially for me like i'm i'm happier not having read the book i mean just obligatory reading books is good <laughs> read a book but, <laughs> um like for a lot of these movies that i watch because that's the medium that i always partake in like i i i'm often happier not realizing that it's not based on a book or not having not being familiar with the source material because then i can enjoy just the movie for what it is when it's good um and that also extends to stuff like the like 
going back to Star Wars, like not having never watched like the the Clone Wars or like any of those animated series, and then just watching something like The Mandalorian, there's sure there's like certain elements that I don't know the full history about, but it's cool to see on the screen and they're doing something creative with it. Um, like it's enjoyable for me. And that's, that's what makes me a fan. <laughs> yeah. I am the same with star Wars. I've only ever watched like the movies and the current TV shows. I didn't get into like, um, I did like Jendi's uh, clone wars, like uh, cartoons that were like super short interstitials and stuff like that beautifully done but I never watched like the epic long like series that came out <laughs> yeah. I didn't watch Bad Batch I didn't watch any of those but I did watch like The Mandalorian and I did watch Andor I did watch Book of Boba Fett I watched all those and um watching that stuff as long as it's stuff within the world that makes sense to me and I'm not sitting there going confused be like I don't know what's going on I was fine with all of it I am completely fine with all of it. And then you see like those videos where they break down whatever and they're like, read this book and do this. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't need to do that. I'm good. That's, that's <laughs> for you to do. And I agree with you. Like if you put the story in the medium that is being presented in a good way, that's enjoyable for the audience, then you've done your job. I'm going to make a bold counterpoint to something you said, Paulo. Um, <laughs> and it's the statement books are good. Go read a book which is maybe something hard to take a bold stance on. Hot but take. <laughs> I, as a movie guy, I hate this stance that like there's one of those memes or something you see online where it's like, oh, if you date somebody and you go to their house and they don't have any books, don't fuck them. Because it's like there's this stance that if you don't read books, you're an idiot. Um, and that you can't like movies are for Avengers and Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. And books have all these, this wisdom and intelligence. And they have this culture in our society that, you know, books are what an intelligent person has, but Twilight is a book and the human condition is a movie. And so you can have different <laughs> ranges of different intelligent things, like in different mediums. And like me personally, I don't like reading. It makes me fall asleep. Uh, but I learn a lot from movies. Like I watch documentaries. I watch like a movie can tell you about the human experience. It can tell you someone else's perspective. It can make you feel something. And so I just, I'm just throwing that out there. My, my hot take on, I don't think books are so intelligent as everyone else makes you. It, in like. my defense, that's not totally what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's just trying not to discourage you from reading books. Yeah. You can read a book, but you're not, I mean, you're not generally smarter if you read a book because I've met some book smart people who are morons. That's a different story. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I I mean, I think I've, I said this to you guys the first time I talked to you, like I'm a general media person. So I intake all of this stuff. So movies, TV, I read comic books, all of this stuff. Um, so I have a pretty decent, you know, book collection, but also people make fun of like sometimes think it's childish that I love comic books and graphic novels and stuff. They're like, they're just picture books for adults. And I'm like, yeah, that's what the content is. Thank you. <laughs> you know, cause you could read a, you can read a graphic novel like Habibi, which takes place over a lifetime in the Middle East. You know, it's this abused child who ends up somewhere and falls in love and blah, blah, blah. And it is visually stunning. 
okay? Or I can sit at home and watch, like, the Kardashians. And I'm like, no, you're not making me feel bad for looking at my picture book. I'm sorry. That's not a thing. But I agree with you as well, where you can watch amazing movies and understand the human condition, but also you're not going to make me read Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not a thing that's going to happen. So there, there is a spectrum. As there is in everything. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but yeah. I think this is a, a good point to start wrapping up our conversation. Um, I know you had some notes. Um, is there anything else you wanted to kind of add in before we close this off? Um, I, I don't know. Like my notes were legitimately just a list of all of the books and movies that I have read <laughs> in like within the most recent time, which included Chuck Palahniuk's like Fight Club and Choke. Choke was a really bad adaptation, even though I really wanted to like it. Disagree. Love the, it. I, they cut Ooh. the best part out of it, but I never read I the book, so I actually can't argue that it's a bad adaptation. I just like the movie. <laughs> No, no, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad adaptation. I just don't enjoy the movie as much as I would have liked to. Yes. Um, then there's like Dracula, for example. I wrote down all the Philip K. Dick stuff. Um, Andy Wire's The Martian. Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champion and Slaughterhouse Five, which are horrendous movies. Um, Frankenstein, Starship Troopers, um, Daniel Wallace's Big Fish, which... Like, Big Fish the movie is very positive and very optimistic, whereas even though they get the exact same point as the book, the book is super depressing, I find, which I thought was fascinating. Um, did Jurassic Park, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Fault in Our Stars, uh, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and also Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Um, anything Shakespeare, Isaac Asimov, um, and the spider chronicles that's where i stopped for some reason but yes <laughs> one thing i'm gonna throw out there because uh, you mentioned it shakespeare and i think you mentioned that before i love the different ways that shakespeare has been adapted by people in just the most random ways and i, I think akira kurosawa that they're clearly shakespeare but they have nothing to do with the characters and like actual events like they're not direct adaptations and i just love how much time has passed that it's like people have captured the spirit and essence of those stories while doing completely their own thing with it. Yeah. 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 People really do. Like, I mean, like it, it goes from like teen comedies, like 10 things I hate about you to Victorian dramas, like Emma to um, like Kira Karasawa, like um, what is it? Seven Samurai, I think it is, is the one that's mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, so like it, they just go all over the place because I think, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm also going to take a hot take. Um, I think um, Shakespeare's overrated. There's lots of <laughs> plot holes in his stories, uh, which frustrates me. Um, but he was a pretty good wordsmith in general, coming up with lots of phrases and stuff that we use. And his stories are relatively relatable now as they were back then, apparently. So all of that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy those things i don't know where i was going with it i i, I lost my train of thought somewhere in there it's interesting how like people have adapted shakespeare like for example seven samurai is kind of an adaptation of like a shakespearean story i don't know if it's like a direct story adaptation but then seven samurai has gone on to influence like movies and you know there's a direct adaptation of magnificent seven which is basically a retelling of that but then it's just like 
it's like a tree of different stories that like Shakespeare is the tree that branches off into like seven samurai, which branches off into things that it inspired. And it's just like, this is how kind of stories inspire each other as they go on. So, you know, I, I don't like when people use that argument of like, Oh, this story's not original. Like so-and-so did this a hundred years ago. It's like, yeah, just, just inspire each other and tell your own stories and do whatever yeah. you want with it. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think Romeo and Juliet is his most uh, specific example um, because it goes from that to, you know, like the Romeo and Juliet like movies, which they've just made over and over and over again. But you also have like West Side Story. You have, um, oh God, I was just thinking of a really weird example. Um, oh my God. I just lost it. I don't know. But there's lots of, of, there's, uh, oh, Greece. That's what I was thinking of. Greece. Oh. That's what I was thinking of. You know, it's just like, it's two people from two completely different worlds where the people on both of their sides are fighting against them coming together essentially and then they make it work i mean not everybody dies at the end which i'm very happy about um but you know it's just you know finding like love in your differences and bringing people together kind of thing is still a thing that happens now ongoing um Did a side note, did anyone else watch that uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet in high school as like yes. part of yeah. their English class? Yes. Not just me? Okay. <laughs> I was cool. in that theater, man. Yes. Yes, I was. <laughs> uh, all right. I am going to, I'm going to call it there and we are going to end off this episode, bringing back something that we haven't done in a couple of years now which is having everyone say what is a movie that they are looking forward to coming out soon. I will go ahead and get started. And I think this will, this episode will exemplify my relationship with certain sci-fi franchises, because I'm going to say that I'm looking forward to guardians of the galaxy three, the latest installment of Marvel. Um, I think James Gunn is a really good storyteller. Um, It looks like he has, like he's going to try to wrap up, you know that story that he did and i we have so many stories that just keep going on and on and on like i i like endings so it feels like he's gonna have some type of ending for those characters something that fits and i'm just looking forward to seeing what he's gonna do and i I think you know it might just be another bad marvel movie but there's a chance it might actually be something good so either way i'm interested in seeing what it is i agree with you um i just hope it's not as bad as Thor Love and Thunder um so yes uh, um the thing I'm looking forward to is The Blackening um I am not a huge horror movie fan but this movie seems very entertaining to me it's a horror movie that just has a black cast and their tagline is um uh not all of us can die first I think it's, it's around that um and I just think it's a hilarious concept so I'm looking forward to Hopefully seeing that and the Barbie movie. Just put it in there. Yeah. I'm just curious about what the Barbie movie is at this point. Right? Yeah. I mean, I saw that trailer and it looks absolutely crazy. And I have an idea of where they're going with it. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not going to make any assumptions right now. I'm just going to walk in there and have pink glitter thrown at my face and hopefully be very happy about it. And it's great. So what are we th- like? Yeah. <laughs> So what are we thinking? More Warcraft or more Battleship? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm thinking Lego Movie. What are you talking? about? I was about? literally oh. going to say that the Lego Movie. Like, I feel like they made an original story and connected to the spirit of what the 
product is, I guess. Um, yeah. And if they do the same with Barbie, then it'll probably be a success. Yeah, agreed. Paula, how much All stuff right. are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Joyride, which is, uh, I guess, a, an Asian hangover type movie. Um, uh, starring, um, I mean, there's few recognizable faces there usually are when it's like all mostly Asian casts because it's usually the same people except for Simu, Simu Liu who's probably the only Asian actor not in this but um, uh, Stephanie Su um, who I think should have won the Best Supporting Act- Actress uh, Oscar yes because um, she was fantastic in that movie she was killer yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it looks pretty funny. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, a lot of shows that my wife watches, uh, have, sorry, not a lot of shows. This, one of the actress, one of the other actresses is in like a couple of shows that my wife watches. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Tracy, thanks for coming on the show. It was great having you here. It was a wonderful conversation, even though most of it may or may not have had to do with movies based on books Uh, (laughs) but we appreciate you coming on thanks for having me yeah check out on off my shelf uh if you're still around listening right now (laughs) link will Uh, be in the description 50 percent chance yeah there's there's tons of episodes so find a movie you like find a movie you've never heard of and and have a listen yeah awesome well thanks everyone for listening and tune in again next time